Hey, everyone, I too want to thank you for joining us for this online service. My name is George Davis. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Psalm 96, Psalm 96 in the Old Testament. As you're turning there, just a reminder, you can find all sorts of helpful stuff at our online bulletin, hfcinfo.com. You can find our sermon notes, send in a prayer request, and check out our latest announcements. So I encourage you to check that out at some point. As we continue looking at Psalms, uh, I want to ask you a question. Do you have a go-to comfort food? Is there a comfort food you really like? For me, particularly when I, when I was growing up, the answer was simple. Peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter and jelly. I'm not sure if I would have survived elementary school without peanut butter and jelly. I lived on this every day. I love peanut butter and jelly. And still there, there are moments when I, I just have to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, even though I'm now in my 50s. I never thought much about that until, um, until I moved to England for graduate school. And at one point, I was in a conversation with a friend of mine from a different part of the country. We were talking about American culture. And in the course of that conversation, my friend, who I think was from Australia, looked at me and he said, he said, George, can I ask you a personal question? And the tone of his voice implied, he's now, he's now going to ask me something really deep. And that's when he looked at me and said, George, do you really, do you really eat peanut butter with jelly? And I looked at him, yes, yes, I do. And I think that's when I discovered that even though I'd always put these things together, that there are some people for whom peanut butter just doesn't go with jelly. Some people who say, I don't see how these go together. I would never actually put these things together. Maybe you're in that category as well. As I said, we're in the Psalms this morning, and this morning we're concluding our series entitled Renew. Over the last few weeks, we've spent time, time in the Psalms looking at the way the Psalms encourage us to be renewed from the inside out. We've talked about renewing our perspective, renewing our soul, renewing our peace, renewing our sense of courage. This, this morning in the final message from Psalm 96, uh, we're going to look at, at one other theme of renewal. And as we look at this, we're going to see that the psalmist puts together two things that we don't always put together. In fact, the psalmist puts two things together that you might not normally or naturally put them together. In fact, you may even be my, like my friend from Australia who, who would say, no, these two things, they never go together. So what, what two themes, what two themes are, are brought together in Psalm 96 that I want us to pay attention to? The two things that are brought together right at the beginning of the psalm are these. The theme of worship and the theme of witness. Now, let me ask you this question. What, what comes to your mind when you think about worship? Maybe you would say, you know what, George, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about worship is this. I think about people gathering in person online for a Sunday morning service. We, we sing, we praise God together, we have times of prayer, we engage God in, in Scripture. That's, that's worship, and, and all of that is true. But in the pages of, of Scripture, the Bible actually says worship is, is even broader than that. In the Bible, worship is presented as, as a way of life lived in response to God. So maybe you would say, okay, George, I get that too. I get that worship is, is a response to God, and I get that worship is more than 70 minutes on a Sunday morning. 
I have opportunities to worship God throughout the week. I'm engaged in, in prayer and Bible study and getting together with other people. And at times, depending on what I'm going through, I'm praying. And, and yet, yet, I don't necessarily put these two, two things together. When I, when I think about worship, I don't naturally or necessarily put it together uh, with witness. These themes aren't always linked for me. Well, I think many of us would would say that, but that now brings us to Psalm 96. Uh, In fact, one of the things we're going to see in Psalm 96 is this. The the psalmist argues that worship, true worship, leads to witness. That's a big idea in this psalm. True worship leads to witness. So now let's come to Psalm 96. This is how the psalm begins. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Now notice notice the theme of worship. But notice this theme of worship morphs into the theme of witness. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Interestingly, in the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible, Uh, This word proclaim is actually translated this way, declare the good news of his salvation day after day. So as as the psalm opens, the theme of worship leads to witness. I mean, the, the psalmist is wanting us to see that worship leads to witness. Now, if we took time, I think we could see these themes linked in other places in Scripture. But let's just stay focused on this psalm. And as we stay focused on this psalm, let's drill down a little bit more and and ask, well, what exactly is it that brings these themes together? Why Why can this author so easily move from worship to witness? So what brings these themes together? I think as you read the rest of the psalm, the answer is simple. What brings worship and witness together is the character of God. The psalmist begins by inviting us to worship and, and, and then engage in a life of witness. And that's followed by his description of the character of God that really permeates much of the rest of the song. And, and as you look at the rest of the psalm, there, there are many themes that we could highlight, and I'll just highlight it this way. First of all, I think among other things, the psalmist shows us that God is unmatched. I mean, notice, notice the way the psalm continues. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He's to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. And an underlying theme here is God is unmatched. In fact, when, when the author says this, um, all the gods of the nations are idols, this term used here actually communicates the idea of being worthless not having value. You can actually translate it that way. All the gods of the nations are worthless. They don't match up to the reality of who God is. I think in in saying this, the the author is acknowledging, you know what, there are other ways to approach life. (laughs) There are other things that people value, but they don't compare to God. Now, maybe at times you find yourself cynical for this reason. There are people around you that are approaching life differently. There are people around you maybe who are always looking to cut corners, always looking for an angle, always looking out for themselves. And when you're around these people, they just make you, they make you cynical about life. 
And I think the author is acknowledging, you know, there, there are people around us who have different sorts of priorities. Yet, don't let that distract you. Don't become cynical because of it. Instead, focus on the beauty, the wonder, the majesty of God, the one who is worthy of praise. Don't become disillusioned just because circumstances or the people around you discourage you. Don't presume that that's all there is to life. This is just the way it is. There's nothing else. Don't get stuck there. Instead, come back to the reality of who God is. Come back to the reality that he has created the world, that he is worthy of our praise. Come back to the reality that you and I have been created in his image. We're intended to be in relationship with him. We're intended to reflect his character in all of creation. Yes, the truth is our world is broken, and we see that brokenness in ourselves. It's true that there are so many things around us that can be disappointing. Yet that's not the end of the story. God has a rescue plan at work, and we learn through the pages of Scripture that that rescue plan is now at work through Jesus Christ. So we see that God is unmatched here. And this this leads us to see something else in, in this passage, not simply that God is unmatched, but also that God is unstoppable. We go a little farther in the psalm, and here's what we read. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Now notice this. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Look at that statement again, the Lord reigns. Centuries later, Jesus would build on the same theme in his own teaching when he announced the arrival of the kingdom of God. God's rescue plan is now underway. I am the one who is bringing it about, and it will not be stopped. Now, here's, what, here's what's assumed in this psalm. If, if God's reigning, if God is truly reigning, if his rescue plan is now underway, it's a plan that is involving more and more people. Right? You are to say to the nations, the Lord reigns. And I think what's expected here is as you say to the nations, the Lord reigns, there will be people who choose to come under that reign. So, Worship and witness come together as we understand the character of God. Because when we understand who God is, when we understand what he is doing, we are acknowledging that through his plan, more and more people are becoming a part of what he's doing. To see this further, just think back again to how the psalm began. Remember how the psalm began? Sing to the Lord a new song. Now, why does the author use that phrase? Why does he say this is a new song? What does it mean to sing a new song? Well, I think among other things, it means this. We are to sing a new song in that day by day, there are new evidences of God's grace and God's faithfulness. There are evidences of God's grace in my life that I can celebrate today that I could not celebrate five years ago. So the song, the worship is new in that there are new things to celebrate. Furthermore, and I think you see this in the context of this song, this psalm, the the song is new because there are new people singing it in new places. In other words, when we worship God, when we come together corporately to worship, we are doing so with the recognition 
that God is reigning. He is bringing more and more people into his plan. And as he does so, you and I as believers have a role to play. We are called to be part of the announcement of God's reign. In truly worshiping God, we are acknowledging our participation in that work. In truly acknowledging God's character and his work, worship and witness come together because worship leads to witness. Now, as we engage this simple idea that I think the, the psalmist is describing, that you know, true worship leads to witness, let me, let me just unpack the implications of the true worship that he's describing. I think there there are several implications for us, several things that this kind of worship that the psalmist is describing, several things that it produces. First of all, I think this, this worship, true worship, should produce confidence in God. As the psalmist has acknowledged, you know, there are all kinds of ways in which people approach life. There are all kinds of priorities and value systems and worldviews that are at work in the world around us, some of which are very antagonistic towards God and Christianity. But God is not threatened by that. As, As the psalmist implies, idols are ultimately worthless. They are powerless. They may seem to be threatening, but they will not thwart what God is doing. God will finish what he has started. So you and I, as followers of Christ, need to have confidence in God. I mean, notice again how how the psalm ends, let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. So, The psalm ends with this affirmation of of confidence in God, that he will be faithful to finish what he has started. So this kind of worship should, should produce confidence, but I think not only should it produce confidence in God, it should also produce concern for others. Remember the expectation. The expectation of the psalmist is that that our worship is, is to lead to witness that we are to live life and engage others in ways that reflect God's character, in ways that reflect his plan of of restoration and renewal. And as we think about that, let me me just unpack. Um, Let me just unpack this a little bit further, given our current circumstances and our current situation. Let's just think about our current cultural moment. I think we would all admit that we're we're living in a moment where things really seem divided. I've talked about this multiple times before. I'm sure you've been in a conversation before where you talked about cultural division. And we're at a moment where it feels like we're divided. We're divided into different groups with different values. and, And we divide over all sorts of things. These divisions manifest themselves, for instance, recently in how we're thinking about issues of race. They manifest themselves in how we think about responding to COVID-19 and the best way to move forward. They manifest themselves as we think about our current political climate and the upcoming election in November, right? In in many ways, it feels like we're divided, divided into different groups, even different tribes, you might say. And in this moment of division, in this moment of division, it's easy to develop an us versus them mindset. It's our group. It's my group versus those other groups. 
And if you pay attention, you'll see that mindset reflected in conversations. You've seen it in how we consume media. You see it in how we engage one another. You see it in how people engage issues in one another online. In fact, some of us, we've kind of engaged in that kind of thinking, and others of us, we've experienced it from others. So we live in a moment where it's easy to gravitate to an us-versus-them mindset and to approach life that way. But here's one current implication of this psalm, one current implication, I think, of, of the true worship that the psalmist is describing. And that is this. This type of worship should, should lead to a shift in attitude from us versus them to us for them. Now, maybe you're saying, okay, George, I get it. The psalm talks about how worship leads to witness, but where do you get this shift in attitude? Where, where do you see that in the text? And to answer that question, I need to give you one more piece of background information about Psalm 96, and that is this. Uniquely, uh, this psalm occurs actually at two places in the Bible. This psalm, the wording of this psalm, occurs not only in Psalm 96, it also occurs in 1 Chronicles 16, which describes the history of the nation of Israel. It occurs particularly in a passage that is dealing with the life of David. So to see this attitude shift, let's just think for a moment about 1 Chronicles 16 and that season in David's life. Now, when David becomes king of Israel, he isn't recognized completely throughout the land of Israel. During the early years of his reign, the northern tribes of of Israel choose not to fully recognize his reign. So during that time, he is actually reigning from a southern city, the city of Hebron. Finally, after a few years, David is actually able to unite the entire country, to bring everyone together. And as he does this, he does something that I think was absolutely brilliant. It was a brilliant leadership move. In bringing the people together, he says, now we're going to do something together. And here's what we're going to do together. Together, we're going to move the capital of our nation to the middle of the country, to that ancient city of Jerusalem. It's a brilliant idea. There's just one problem. And the problem is this. At this time, this city, Jerusalem, was not under Israelite control. You see, Jerusalem, a city kind of located in the central part of the country, is is located on a hill, and it was fortified, and it was relatively easy to defend. Consequently, centuries earlier, when Israel, right, under Joshua had come into the land, they had basically gone around Jerusalem. Jerusalem had never been conquered. Jerusalem was an outlier in the nation of Israel. Jerusalem was a city still under foreign control with people worshiping foreign gods. So David says, no, we're going to make this city our capital. But to do that, he has to come up with a plan. And he comes up with this, I think, brilliant plan. He's going to send a group of his soldiers, like a commando unit, into the city through a water tunnel. And once they're inside, they're able to secure the gate and and open the gate for his armies to come in. And that's exactly what happens. A group of of soldiers sneak into the city through a water channel. Interestingly, to this day, you can still walk through the water channel, the ancient water channel that was most likely used by David's men. They they sneak into the, the, the town. They're able to open up the city, and David and his armies conquer Jerusalem. 
They have now secured the city for their capital. And as as David does this, um, he begins setting up uh, Jerusalem to be his capital. And as part of establishing his capital, the Ark of the Covenant, right, that sacred sacred chest that represented the, the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant is brought into Jerusalem. And when the Ark is brought into the Jerusalem, it's just this amazing time of worship, of celebration. And as the Ark is brought in to Jerusalem, among other things, according to First Chronicles, the people are singing Psalm 96. Now think about this for a moment. Here was a great opportunity for an us versus them moment, right? We conquered the outlying city. We conquered those foreigners who were worshiping foreign gods. We conquered those people that were a threat to us. And yet, even in this moment, even as there's this opportunity for an us versus them moment, what are the the people singing? They're singing, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Even in the midst of this moment, they are acknowledging their responsibility to others. And so an us versus them moment becomes an us for them moment. Why? Why does that happen? It happens because worship leads to witness. Now, with that in mind, next week, as we begin moving into the fall, next week, we're going to be starting a new series. The series is entitled Build a Bridge. And as we launch this series, next Sunday, I'm going to be updating you on some planning that has been going on with our staff and with our elders. In the course of next week's message, we're going to really talk about the next season in the life of our church, what the next three to five years could look like, and more specifically, what the next year can look like, what this next academic season can involve. Now, I realize, I realize for many of us, our our schedules are getting busier. I realize that for many of us as fall is ramping up, things are becoming more complicated on your calendar. But right now, I'm asking you to make next Sunday service, September 13th, I'm asking you to make that a priority, to join us either in person or online. And if you can't be with us Sunday morning, to come back and to watch the service online, because in the course of next Sunday, we're going to be talking about what this next season in the life of our church can look like. And as we talk about this next season in the life of our church, I'm going to invite you. I'm going to invite you to join me. I'm going to invite you to join me over the next year in building bridges. Now, I'll explain next Sunday more about what that looks like. But among other things, it means this. It means that individually and collectively, we are going to be people that are for others. It means even in a cultural moment where it's so easy to be divided, where it's so easy to stay safe in our particular groups, we're going to be people who engage life differently. And I'm going to invite you to join me in this effort. Now, I realize that this can be stretching. I realize that for many of us, this isn't going to come naturally. 
I realize in so many ways this can feel countercultural, and we'll talk more about that next Sunday as well. Yet it's an approach to life that we must take seriously because true worship leads to witness. True worship leads to witness. Let's pray together. Gracious God, um, this morning as we've looked at this psalm, I pray that perhaps for some of us we've been challenged to see these two things that go together that we don't always put together. I thank you for the way this psalm stretches us to think that, that worship is, is to lead in an outward direction in our lives. Father, particularly in a time um, that is culturally divided, it's so easy to think differently. And yet, particularly now as we are going to be launching into this new year, as we're going to be talking about building bridges, I pray that we're going to be willing to engage life differently. I pray that we're going to be people who understand that true worship leads to witness. May we be open to what that looks like in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I want to thank you for joining us and invite you, if you would like to jump into the virtual lobby right after the service. If you're watching this on Sunday morning, you can find the link at hfcinfo.com. And it's my prayer that as we've been talking about this psalm, that it's, it's getting you to think. It's starting you to, to really think about uh, what, is, what does worship and witness look like in my life? And as I said, next Sunday, we're going to begin unpacking that more. So plan to be with us next Sunday as we begin to see and understand concretely that as we start a new year, God is inviting you and me to be people who build bridges. Amen.